I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. All right, hello, hello everyone. Today we're going to be diving deep into the book The Calcium Factor by Robert Barefoot. All about calcium, obviously. On this channel we mostly talk about health stuff. I am in the health business, the alternative health business they call it. We sell supplements, but we also have to give people a bunch of information, whatever they would need to know to attempt to get over whatever health condition they have. In the supplements that we sell are what we call the 90 essential nutrients, which is really a shorthand. In reality, there's much more than 90 essential nutrients. But calcium is one of the huge ones, and it's one of the ones that nobody disagrees on. The whole mainstream world, animal science and human science, everybody agrees that calcium is completely essential. And I would argue that calcium deficiency is the most important one in our society because it's pretty easy to correct a vitamin deficiency or amino acid deficiency or essential fatty acid deficiency. You can change the way that you eat. Often it's as simple as eating real foods instead of processed foods to correct many of those deficiencies, but calcium is much more difficult. It doesn't matter what diet you eat. I would argue that it's physically impossible to get enough calcium in our food supply without supplementing. And we can talk a bit about that, but the purpose of this podcast here is to go over the points that I saved in this book when I was reading it. Points that were interesting to me, or maybe I disagree with them, maybe I've got to look into it more. Many reasons I could save a point, this is for my own use, but I've been enjoying these deep dive podcasts where we go through books and talk about the points that were either new to me or maybe evidence that I could use to back up a point we already have or something like that. So this isn't a complete summary, and this is not everything there is to know about calcium. You could spend years studying just calcium and still not be an expert. There's so much to know. Calcium is involved in every cell in the body, so therefore every system, every organ, every gland, everything has something to do with calcium. And before we jump in, I just want to tell you that you can find everything I do on my website, noticebooks.org. Notice is spelled not us. It's not us books. 
You can find the books that I've written. Most of them are about health. You can find the free audiobook versions there as well. You can find hundreds of book reviews. Again, many of them are health-related in some way. And you can find links to all of my social medias. We are most active on Instagram. And this is my first time recording a full episode since we've been back on Spotify here. Most of you guys will be listening on Spotify, but we're back on all podcast platforms. If you didn't know, Spotify owns Anchor, the publishing platform where a lot of people host their podcast. And I always hosted my podcast on Anchor. And since Spotify bought Anchor, they could cancel me across all platforms. So we recently did get taken down. A lot of episodes were lost forever, but I've been reposting old episodes and uploading the ones that we recorded in the month off. And this is the first truly new episode, so if you're new here, I appreciate you. If you're back again, welcome back. And because we got taken off, I did start an archive on my website, notusbooks.org. So far, I've posted many episodes that are not yet up on the podcast here. You can listen to them on my site for free. You can download them for free. And I will get around to posting videos and all kinds of things in the archive. Alright, so jumping into the book here, the first point that I saved was in the preface, and they're talking about the Hunza people up in the Karakarum Mountains in northern Pakistan. Widely considered the longest-lived people, and he's saying here that one quart of Hunza water contains 1,700 milligrams of calcium, which is 17 times the RDA at the time of this book. And I think it's still the same. I think it's 1,000 milligrams is the RDA in America. And they drink several quarts each day because they're high altitude, so they're drinking lots of water. And this is an interesting point, by the way. The longest-lived people, the Blue Zones, none of them really drink water. None of them drink distilled water or pure filtered water or anything like that. Usually they're drinking teas or alcohols or, like in the case of the Hunza, they're drinking mountain stream water that's really cloudy, chalky, with minerals, calcium included, 17,000 milligrams per quart. And those same people will put a chunk of rock salt in the bottom of their cup. So that's not water. That's not pure water. There's a whole bunch of other stuff in that water. And you've got people selling and promoting alkaline water and distilled water and all this stuff. And I recommend a water filter, of course. Reverse osmosis. You want to get the bad stuff out of the water. But people are promoting various different waters and filters for the purpose of alkalizing the water. And some of them attempt to argue that these people, these blue zone people, that's what they do. Well, no, they don't. Their water is alkaline because it has so much calcium in it. Calcium is the primary alkalizer in nature and in biology. This is the reason the oceans aren't acidic. It's because they're lined with calcium, limestone. And continuing reading here, Barefoot's going to argue that's why they don't have cancer either. In general, the overriding factor in their disease-free longevity is the fact that these cultures consume almost 100 times the RDA of everything. Also, they eat large amounts of everything we are told is not good for us, such as butter, salt, eggs, milk, and animal fat. Another major factor is that these cancer-free people are often in the sun most of the day, which we are told causes cancer. The calcium factor details the scientific explanations for their remarkable health and youth. And I think this book did a pretty good job, actually, of being accessible in both the basics and really some of the technical details about calcium. Like, this book is easy to read enough as a layperson. 
and it's directed towards lay people, but it also does have details in here that you wouldn't understand unless you knew more about chemistry and stuff, and you could actually skip those and it would still function well. It was a really good book, is what I'm saying. Without being a textbook, this is sort of the next best thing. So the next point I saved here is a quote from Max Planck, who he says here is a father of modern physics and Nobel Prize winner in 1903. He stated, An important scientific innovation rarely makes its way by gradually winning over and converting its opponents. It rarely happens that Saul becomes Paul. What does happen is that its opponents gradually die out and that the growing generation is familiarized with the new idea from the beginning. And in modern times, that quote has been shortened to... Science progresses one funeral at a time, basically. That's, that's the idea that Max Planck is getting through here. He's saying that new ideas don't just win people over. The people who hold the old ideas die out. And the people who were brought up on those new ideas, they fill in the ranks of the old scientists. So science progresses one funeral at a time. Of course, any good health book has to remind us of that at some point or another. Science is a living organism, and it does change, but not by the rational means that we might think it should. Okay, here he was talking about nutrient deficiencies and how they weaken the body, and then I save this point. One of the most important of these integral elements is calcium. It can be found molecularly bound in the bones in abundance, and in almost all human cells. When freed from its molecular bonding by ionization, it can then readily combine with proteins. The inclusion of such calcium-bound protein in the ion channel of every cell wall constitutes biological valving that regulates both cell nutrition and the important bioelectrical cellular discharging processes involved in all bodily functions. I'll stop there to explain that. So calcium is needed, both calcium and uh, sodium and potassium, they're, they're all kind of needed to allow nerves to be fired, allow signals to be exchanged, allow things to get in and out of the cells. You've got what's called the sodium-potassium pump, which a lot of people learn about. But the calcium channel here regulates both cell nutrition and the important bioelectrical cellular discharging processes involved in all bodily functions. So calcium's really a spark plug here that allows the cell to do these very basic things. Get things in and out, discharge energy, and so on. Continuing the text... Vitamin D, produced in the skin by a chemical reaction induced by the ultraviolet radiation of sunlight, photosynthesis, has as its main function the ionization of ingested calcium by the small intestine. So vitamin D, the main function of it, is the ionization of ingested calcium by the small intestine. So it's there to get calcium in through the small intestine into the blood. Vitamin D, that's its role here. And Barefoot says that's its main role. Although the inside walls of the small intestine are very negatively charged, the positively charged ionic minerals have a hard time being absorbed through the intestine walls. Fortunately, the walls of the small intestine contain vitamin D receptors, or VDRs, which allow the long-chain vitamin D to penetrate deeply into the intestine wall and leave its negatively charged ion end exposed at the surface. This allows the positively charged calcium ion and other positively charged ions to latch onto the negatively charged oxygen on the end of the vitamin D and be drawn into and through the intestine wall. So even though the small intestine is negatively charged, the vitamin D buries into it and the end of the vitamin D molecule is also negatively charged and that actually draws in the positive ions of calcium. 
and other positive ions. It is estimated that filling the VDR receptors with vitamin D allows the body to absorb up to 20 times more of the difficult to absorb calcium. And note that term, difficult to absorb. Remember the Huns are consuming 17,000 milligrams per quart. Very little of that is actually going to be absorbed. But you often hear people saying and warning you that if you take calcium supplements, if they're inorganic, sometimes they don't even mention that. They just say calcium supplements. They say that it could accumulate in your body, accumulate in your kidneys, accumulate elsewhere, create stones and all this stuff. But the longest of people who don't have a problem with kidney stones, cancer, diabetes, osteoporosis, all, all these modern problems that we have in our society, the Huns of people don't have those. They're consuming massive amounts of inorganic calcium. I just wanted to point that out because people will talk about this without any proof at all, saying that calcium supplements will cause kidney stones and so on and so on. We say it's because of calcium deficiency, right? Because the body pulls calcium from the bones and the teeth when it's deficient in it to put more in the blood. This is why calcium deficiency doesn't show up on blood tests. You could have raging osteoporosis, have all the symptoms, have all the pain of arthritis, and your blood tests show that your calcium is fine because your body will pull it from everywhere else to maintain the blood. And the point there was just that even inorganic calcium isn't going to accumulate, number one, but it is difficult to absorb, number two. It's always difficult to absorb calcium. And you need vitamin D in order to do it in the intestine. You also need a strong stomach acid in most forms of calcium. There are a few that don't need to be primed acidically to be absorbed, but most of them that you'll encounter both in supplements and foods need the strong stomach acid to be absorbed or broken apart. Okay, then he talks more about vitamin D, and I'm not going to get into that here. I do have a vitamin D episode, by the way. At the time of this recording, I haven't posted it yet to the podcast here, but it is on my archive, notusbooks.org slash archive. And I will post it here, of course. Stay tuned. All right, the next point I saved here was just about a book that has a whole bunch of other evidence. And on the next page here, there's quite a lot about this ion channel exchange and how important that is in, in cellular regulation and so on, how this might uh, relate to cancer and so on. But I'm skipping a few pages ahead to the next point that I saved here. When calcium is pulled from the bones, it is released through the kidneys, resulting in stone formation, kidney stones, before it is excreted. So that's something we say all the time. It's just confirming it. It didn't really provide the right evidence here. It's just contained in a quote from the Calcium Signal in 1987, which is a book, I assume. And the entire point here is also something we say all the time. There are many research studies which allude to the fact that high phosphorus and or phosphoric acid found in meat and soft drinks, especially cola and Dr. Pepper, that's me speaking, adding that in, colas and Dr. Pepper are high in phosphoric acid. Coffee even has a little bit of phosphoric acid, not as much as a soda, but meat does as well. Meat is high phosphorus, and organs are even more high in phosphorus. And by the way, I do go into a bit more detail about this in my book, Everything You Should Know About Healthy Blood Sugar. Again, you can find all of my books on my website, notusbooks.org. But this calcium to phosphorus ratio is an important thing, actually. Agriculture has this well figured out because if you mess up that calcium to phosphorus ratio, your livestock will get calcium deficiency problems. If you consume too much phosphorus, it will cause calcium to be pulled from the bones and teeth. It'll cause you to need more calcium. You need to have that ratio of about two to one, two times as much calcium as you do phosphorus. 
And there's plenty of phosphorus in the food, especially if you're eating meat and soft drinks and other high phosphorus uh, foods, corn, for example, there's a bunch of them. If you're eating high phosphorus foods and not enough calcium, which we all are if we're just eating food alone, remember those Huns of people, just in their drinking water alone, they have 17,000 times the RDA in every quart of water that they drink. We're calcium deficient. We have high phosphorus diets. Therefore, we have high calcium deficiency problems, lots of them. Because, as the text goes on here, it pulls calcium out of the bony structures, bones, teeth, and nails, in the process of digestion and assimilation. So it needs the calcium there in order for digestion to occur. The blood needs calcium in there all the time because calcium is involved in every cellular transaction, basically. So when your body needs calcium, it has nowhere else to pull it from except for bones and teeth. This is how you get osteoporosis and receding gums and all kinds of tooth problems and all this stuff. Or muscle problems can pull it from the muscles. There's not enough available for the muscles. Your body's playing musical chairs with its calcium and other minerals. And there's simply not enough there for your muscles. You get a cramp, you get a twitch, you get shin splints, you get random pains. Because minerals are being pulled out in the process of digestion and assimilation. This has a disastrous effect on bone density, leaving them porous and spongy. When calcium is pulled from the bones, it is released through the kidneys, resulting in stone formation before it is excreted. So yeah, I didn't give the full explanation there. That was just a quote. This little section here is a kind of a bunch of quotes from a bunch of different books and articles just talking about kind of a scattered array of benefits of calcium and factoids about calcium. And this has been happening for a long time. Like I said, in agricultural science, they've known for like 100 years about the calcium to phosphorus ratio. We fixed osteoporosis and arthritis, we meaning humanity, fixed these problems in livestock and animals a thousand years ago in China. They fixed it back in medieval Europe again 500 years ago. And in the 20th century, we spent billions of dollars figuring this out for agricultural purposes. And by the way, in China and Europe, all they did was figure out that if you feed your animals bones and joints, that gives them healthy bones and joints. There isn't enough calcium phosphorus, magnesium, all this stuff. There isn't enough just in grass. Cows don't just eat grass. If you don't feed them minerals, they will go and they'll start eating clay. They'll start eating the wood on the feed pen. They'll be eating leather gloves and they'll be chewing all kinds of things. It's called pica in animals. And the agricultural recommendation is to feed them bones, bone meal, and a trace mineral salt block. And it should stop the behavior, that cribbing behavior. That's what it's called when they're chewing on all kinds of different things. It's called cribbing. In human beings, we call it the munchies. But think about that. When their mineral cravings are satisfied, the animals stop. And it should stop with humans too. By the way, this is why I believe most people go out and binges for junk food, or they can't help their cravings to eat junk food at night or something like that. It's because it's salty. Even a candy bar or something that you think of as sugary, like a soda, has lots of salt in it. And I bet your body's just craving the salt. It's where you've taught your body how to get salt. You don't put enough salt on regular food so your body's craving its known salt sources, which are inevitably junk food. So you can put salt on real food and trick that, or you can put salt in water, drink some salty water, and stop a lot of different cravings. And having an adequate calcium intake, I would say, is the next most important thing. Calcium and salt be the two biggest minerals that cause excess cravings. Pica, the munchies. Okay, he does do a big summary here of the various roles of calcium, but I didn't save much in this section. Except this point, when the pH drops below 6.5, becoming acidic, this is the pH in the, in the body, the glucose breaks down into lactic acid, so the sugar that's always in your blood, it breaks down to lactic acid when 
the blood goes to 6.5 pH, thus creating even more acidity and starving the cell of the basic building materials it requires for DNA replication. And that is because calcium is a crucial component of the pH buffer system that holds extracellular fluid in the 7.4 pH range. As calcium bonds to phosphates, it liberates sodium and potassium, allowing them to form alkaline salts, as well as combining with bicarbonates to produce mild chemical buffers such as sodium bicarbonate in the 7.7 .7 pH range. This alkaline pH buffering mechanism is crucial in allowing glucose to break down into the four nucleotides. Those are the four basic building blocks of DNA. But the point that I saved here, once again, to cap this paragraph off, when the pH drops below 6.5, becoming acidic, the glucose breaks down into lactic acid, creating more acidity and starving the cell of the basic building materials it requires for DNA. That's because the pH is off, so glucose can't break down into the four building blocks of DNA. Now here is a point I saved, and I've been trying to talk about this more often, which is the pituitary gland and the fact that it's uh, stimulated by sunlight, so I'll read this to you. Once calcium is in the bloodstream, its deposition in bone is controlled by a hormone released by the parathyroid gland called calcitonin, which also, along with inositol triphosphate, controls both the removal and the deposition of calcium in the cells. The parathyroid gland is regulated by the pituitary gland, located directly behind the eyes, and it is stimulated by full-spectrum sunlight. Note, glasses, especially tinted glasses, block much of the spectrum required for hormone regulation. So. The pituitary gland is stimulated by sunlight. The pituitary gland tells the parathyroid gland what to do, basically. Pituitary is behind the eyes. The parathyroid is further down. Both of them will be communicating with the thyroid as well, or unable to if the thyroid has a problem. And by the way, thyroid problems are also in our calcium deficiency category that, that we use to organize what we call the four categories of disease. And there's actually at least five because parasites and infections, they deserve their own category, obviously. But just if you didn't know, thyroid problems are in our calcium deficiency category. It's the primary nutrient deficiency involved in high or low thyroid. And it's told what to do by the pituitary and the hypothalamus and the parathyroid. So full spectrum sunlight stimulates the pituitary and sets off this chain reaction for hormone regulation because these things are telling the rest of your body what to do, basically. Calcium resorption or removal from the bones is regulated by another hormone called the parathyroid hormone, which of course is also secreted by the parathyroid gland. So he's talking about how this can lead to osteoporosis, of course. If the hormones that tell your body to remove calcium from bones are released, then not enough hormones to tell it to stop are released, then you can have an osteoporosis problem. It's more complicated than that. I didn't save that one point. I just saved that one paragraph. Next thing I saved was, a new study published by the University of Chicago in the January 2000 issue of Cell describes calcium's crucial participation in allowing the skin to keep fluids and foreign elements out. A doctor determined that low calcium levels inhibit cell adhesion while high calcium levels promote. She states that as calcium levels increase, the puncture of adjoining cells forms into two rows, creating what researchers termed an adhesion zipper. When an adherence junction starts to form, the zipper closes to form a continuous sealed barrier between cells. She noted that, as calcium levels increased, projections known as phylopodia extended out toward and entered neighboring cells, binding them further. Thus, calcium is a crucial component in holding the skin together. And I had actually never heard anything like that. I didn't know what they were talking about zippers and stuff. What do, you, what do you mean? Okay, so the calcium 
is helping to keep fluids and foreign elements out. As calcium levels increase, there's rows of adjoining cells that form. So I guess the cells become more coherent. They line up, creating what researchers termed an adhesion zipper. Yeah, so I, n I never heard that before at all. Cool, I guess. Keeping a sealed barrier. That uh, sounds pretty important. Next point I saved uh, was something I also didn't know until I read this book, I think, last year. I never asked the question of why the zodiac cancer was a crab, but here it says, Cancer was named by the ancients after the great veins that usually surround the malignant growth. The veins that surround the tumor, basically. They compared them to the claws of a crab, or cancer, in Latin. Cancer's origin was unknown, and it was generally treated unsuccessfully with special potions and, on occasion, with local surgery. So yeah, it was just a little factoid there. Cancer, crab, cancer means crab. Now it made sense why the zodiac cancer is a crab. So the next point I saved here, I'm kind of hesitant on reading it all to you because it's quite long. It's talking about the Otto Warburg, the Nobel Prize winner, Otto Warburg, which pretty much everyone has heard of in the alternative health world, showed clearly that cancer was associated with anaerobic deficiency of oxygen conditions, anaerobic conditions, resulting in fermentation and a marked drop in the pH of the cell. So cells become acidic. Everybody's heard this these days, that cancer cannot live in an alkaline environment. And they use uh, quite complicated reasoning and evidence here to uh, talk about that, basically how it's the calcium deficiency that is contributing to that. So I'm not going to redo this whole section. And I saved another point here on a sort of related topic. I'll read the whole paragraph. Another interesting fact is that cancer is virtually unknown to the Hopi Indians of Arizona and the Hunza of northern Pakistan so long as they stay in the same environment. This strongly suggests that something they are consuming is protecting them from cancer. The only significant difference is their water supply. The Hopi is rich in rubidium and potassium, and the Hunza water is rich in cesium and potassium, making both of the water supplies rich in very caustically active metals. Researchers, such as a couple of researchers, found that by not only addressing the calcium deficiency, but by also using these minerals to raise the pH above the 7.4 range, to a pH of 8.5, the cancer cells would die while the healthy cells would thrive. Thus, once again verifying the observations of both the turn-of-the-century doctors and men like Dr. Reich, they would treat their cancer patients with the salts of both rubidium and cesium. And I realize I actually saved this uh, not because it was talking about calcium, but I've been saving everything having to do with cancer. I do plan on writing some kind of a cancer book one day or even just adding to my cancer chapter in my book, Fake Diseases. So I've been saving a lot on cancer, and so this doesn't have that much to do with calcium. I think they're bringing it back here to the alkalinity thing, helping these uh, minerals be absorbed properly, and the ion channels that all work together with calcium. This is quite a technical section here. I'm not sure if it'll make sense without reading the whole thing, but this next point is a good one. If all of this calcium is so good at inhibiting cancer, then why is hypercalcemia, high calcium in the blood, associated with various types of cancer? Hypercalcemia, which usually occurs in the latter stages of certain cancers with large tumors and metastases, could be the body's last-ditch defense mechanism. This defense is accompanied by hypophosphatemia, a low-blood serum phosphate, and a high-calcium phosphate renal discharge. So out of your kidneys, out of your urinary tract, you're discharging lots of calcium and phosphate. The calcium within the cancerous and very acidic cells, pH is low as 4, will precipitate out as phosphate. To counter this loss in ionic calcium, 
the cancer cells obtain the calcium from healthy cells nearby. But as the cancer becomes massive or widespread, the calcium within is locked up in the phosphate form, and the most available source for the required calcium is the calcium-rich bones. When this happens, the blood serum becomes very high in calcium, while the bones undergo massive deterioration. The blood serum is now high in calcium and low in phosphate. As much more phosphate is required for the now dominant but less efficient sodium ion to feed nutrients into the inside of the acidic cell. So because the pH is all off and the calcium is off, the body has to use its backup ion systems basically. And it has these backups all throughout the body. You'll read about one nutrient being able to take the place of another nutrient in a deficiency state. And of course the body will actually change the way it absorbs nutrients to absorb more in times of deficiency all kinds of buffering systems. The body has tons of them. But under these conditions, the intestine finds it difficult to absorb digested calcium. The result is the whole calcium cycle system is now totally out of whack. Ironically, despite the very high serum calcium, what the system needs to put itself back into balance and start the individual on a road to recovery is more calcium from an external source, as well as sunshine and all of the other nutritious foods. For these and other reasons, it can be demonstrated that many of the unorthodox cancer treatments may indeed have scientific merit, and that when chemically understood, cancer may be beaten painlessly. And I definitely save this because this comes up all the time, actually. We have people who come to us with osteoporosis, arthritis, back pain, neck pain, herniated discs, you name it, kidney stones, all, all kinds of things. And they may say they have no deficiency at all, they just had their blood tested, they say their blood is fine even though they've got all these symptoms. Or they may say they have hypercalcemia. They have too much calcium in their blood, high blood calcium. It's very, very common. And so we say all the time that that's actually caused by calcium deficiency. And once again, everybody knows this. Animal science knows this. Human science knows that the body pulls calcium from bones and teeth when it's deficient. This has been known for a very long time. But it's not widely understood, especially by the medical community at large and even the alternative health world, that that could equal high blood calcium and that the high blood calcium can actually be responsible for a ton of different problems, but it's not the root cause. And it's not too much calcium that caused the high calcium. That's the most common misconception. Doctors will say, oh, you have high calcium in the blood. Don't take a calcium supplement. Don't drink milk. Don't do any of that stuff. Meanwhile, it's calcium deficiency that caused that problem. And that paragraph, I think, explained that quite well. The whole calcium cycle system is totally out of whack. And despite the very high serum calcium, or blood calcium, or hair calcium, what the system needs to put itself back into balance and to start the individual on the road to recovery is more calcium from an external source as well as vitamin D. So I skipped forward quite a bit here. There's a lot that I could have saved in this book. As I mentioned, it's really good. It's got lots of information in it, and it explains many things quite well, even if some of it is a bit too technical for the average person. Some of it's a bit too technical for me, quite honestly, but good balance here. And there's a couple paragraphs that I saved here. Calcium ions also play a central role within the heart muscle itself because calcium plays a role in all muscles, calcium and magnesium. Calcium contracts muscles, magnesium relaxes muscles. That's why a lot of people take magnesium to help them sleep or to help them with stress or something like that. Or they take magnesium salt baths, right? Epsom salt baths. But really calcium and magnesium are needed together for muscles to function properly. So of course the heart is a muscle. It requires both of these minerals and all the other essential nutrients to work properly. As the excitation, contraction, coupling, and relaxation is accompanied by a rapid redistribution of calcium. With a defective heart, as the calcium ion accumulation 
ability declines, so does the ability to carry out contraction and relaxation. So as there's less calcium ions around, there's less ability to contract muscles. Next, the British Medical Research Council recently completed a 10-year study that looked at the health of 5,000 men aged between 45 and 59. Only 1% of those who regularly drank more than one half liter, or about half of a U.S. quart, of milk a day suffered heart attacks during the study period against 10% of those who drank no milk at all, which is a tenfold reduction. Also, drinking more than the one half of a liter further reduced the incidence of heart attack. One of the team researchers states that the association between milk drinking and lower heart attack risk was absolutely clear, and there was no significance about what type of milk, full, semi-skimmed, or full-skimmed. Thus, the essential ingredient was calcium. Also, a 25-year study ending in 1997 by the Finland National Public Health Institute on 4,697 cancer-free women aged 15 to 90 concluded that there was an overwhelming association between the high consumption of milk and the prevention of breast cancer compared to other factors. What makes these studies tragic is that they meet all of the prerequisites for scientific authentication that is apparently required by the AMA, and yet both studies go unheeded, despite the fact that heeding them could potentially reduce the death rate of heart disease by tenfold, thereby saving millions of lives, as well as providing a means for women to prevent cancer. The fortunate drug companies and the Doctors of America reap hundreds of billions of dollars per year because of this AMA indifference to using milk nutrition to prevent heart disease and also caustic nutrition to prevent cancer. This indifference is also paid for with human suffering, as well as with hundreds of thousands of lives each year. So here he was talking about the controversy of vitamin D, especially in the early days, about how you could supposedly overdose on especially vitamin D and A. And he says, of course, if you take extremely large doses, any nutrient can be toxic. But the actual point I saved here is, when vitamins were first discovered to have such great health-enhancing properties, of course everyone went overboard. In the 1920s and 30s, for example, physicians commonly prescribed 500,000 or more international units of vitamin D daily. And that's about 100 times what I would recommend, by the way. The average person, I would recommend 5,000 daily. If you know you're very deficient, crank it to 10,000 for about a month and then drop down to 5,000 IU. And you should be good. You should have a healthy blood level of about 50 to 70 nanograms per milliliter. But in the 20s and 30s, physicians were prescribing 500,000 or more IU. Vitamins were known as micronutrients, as so very little was required to create dramatically beneficial results. Despite this, in 1929, investigations began to determine if massive doses may be toxic to individuals. The study on over 700 human subjects and 64 dogs was published in 1937 and concluded that both human subjects and dogs generally survived the administration of 20,000 IU of vitamin D per kilogram of body weight per day for indefinite periods without intoxication. That's a massive amount. This means that a woman weighing 110 pounds could safely take 1 million IU daily. The study, not surprisingly, found that massive doses as high as 500,000 IUs per kilogram per day, and for that 110 pound woman that's 25 million IUs per day, that might cause death. However, it also concluded that the cell injury and calcium deposition was both reversible and repairable if administration is discontinued promptly. So if you stop taking this crazy amount of vitamin D, the cell injury is repairable. Finally, it concluded that intoxication for short periods does not result in any permanent injury. Ironically, further studies in the 1940s suggested that the toxicity of the massive doses given in this study was probably due to the chemical impurities in the first vitamins manufactured a problem that had since been corrected. 
rather than due to the vitamins themselves, and concluded that their findings were the same as another researcher talked about earlier in the book, that vitamin D was non-toxic in amounts under 20,000 times the RDA. And he goes on for several more pages about this vitamin D controversy, but of course that's important because you need vitamin D to absorb calcium. Here I saved a passage about salt. We always encourage people to consume enough salt to salt things to taste. Remember those Hunza people drinking their cup of calcium-enriched mountain river water? They also have a hunk of rock salt in it. So this passage says, Don't eat extra salt, as too much salt causes high blood pressure. However, that was a sarcastic writing, I'm assuming. Barefoot here is a... A little bit of a joker. He's not the most humorous health author, but I definitely appreciate a bit of humor in these books. They can be very dry. So he says, don't eat extra salt, but I'm sure he's being sarcastic. As too much salt causes high blood pressure. However, a four-year study by the prestigious Albert Einstein College of Medicine, done in association with Cornell University Medical College, on 1,900 men with high blood pressure, concluded that high blood pressure patients who ate less than 5 grams of salt a day had more than four times as many heart attacks as those who consumed over 10 grams a day. So less salt, more heart attacks. Although a tremendous increase in salt can lead to a small increase in blood pressure, low sodium causes the level of renin hormones secreted by the kidneys in the blood to go up, and renin is found in high levels of patients with high blood pressure. Thus, most Americans should double their salt intake. And he started the next paragraph here. Don't eat vitamin and mineral supplements lest you obtain all of the nutrients that your body requires for good health. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Currently, 50% of Americans consume some minerals and vitamin supplements. 25% consume both of them on a daily basis. A 24-year study of 11,384 people by James E. Enstrom of the University of Southern California found that taking vitamins and supplements cut the death rate in half. Even more astonishing was the fact that deaths from cancers and heart disease for those taking the daily supplements was less than 10% of those who did not take the supplements. This study by respected scientists at a prestigious institute of learning of large numbers of people over a long time will be an excellent candidate for the American Medical Association's wastebasket. As rather than verify the results that are crucial to the health of America, the medical establishment will demand more proof as Americans are dying, so it withholds funding for the studies. And that's pretty true. You don't really get funding for nutrients. Good luck. Especially not as an independent researcher, but there is very little interest in it in general. And he's talking about a lot of other medical myths here. The facts that fever is a good thing because it kills bacteria. You don't want to suppress 
fever. He's talking about a myth that, that uh, genes cause disease. Of course, we know here that genes do not cause disease. It's always the environment, nutrients, toxins, poisons, bad foods, digestion problems, etc. These cause genes to turn on or off. Genes don't do anything on their own except make proteins. The rest of the system all functions on all these different nutrients. And I saved the point here at the end of uh, his little tirade here about medical myths and why we shouldn't believe the medical establishment when it comes to nutrition. The last point here in the chapter was, also, the FDA has a terrible track record of prematurely approving drugs and then later being forced to take them off the market. This is a common thing that's pointed out. The bodies that are supposed to uh, be checking if things are safe when it comes to pharmaceutical drugs, a lot of the times they're approving things and they're obviously not safe. And we have to find that out on the human guinea pigs in the market. And they have to retract that. For example, the following drugs were removed from the market in December 2000. Seldane, Rotashield, Latronex, Resulin, Posicar, Redux, Hismanol, Raxar, Duract. These drugs approved and promoted by the FDA have now been proven to be deadly to humans. God save us from the FDA. FDA doesn't have to approve supplements, by the way. They regulate them, but there's no approval process. Okay, next point I saved, he's talking about the Hunza again, as he was at the beginning of the book. The Hunza drink their 30 daily cups of tea each with a large hunk of rock salt and two patties of butter. I love doing that too, adding butter to my coffee. I don't really drink tea, but I've never liked uh, sugar and, and cream or creamer. I still don't know what creamer is, but a lot of people use this creamer thing. And I think butter beats all of that easily and some salted butter for sure. Tap your own salt in. But the Hunza drink 30 cups of tea a day at their high altitude. They need to stay very hydrated with a hunk of rock salt. And by the way, you need salt to be hydrated. You need all electrolytes to be hydrated. And calcium is an electrolyte as well. It's a water-soluble nutrient. More about this in my dehydration chapter in my book, Everything You Should Know About Healthy Blood Sugar. But 30 cups of tea with rock salt and two patties of butter in it per day for these tons of people. And he's just talking about how doctors don't heed this in the West. He's talking about how we put this stuff in animal foods. Horse food and dog food, for example, can contain as much as 60 nutrient supplements. Meanwhile, human food remains almost totally depleted in these life-sustaining nutrients. As long as the animals are fed only animal foods and not people food, they remain relatively disease-free. That's true. Next section here, archaeologists studying the cultures of the past 700,000 years have discovered that those who lived in hunting cultures had strong bones and were slim and relatively disease-free, while those from agricultural societies, starting 10,000 years ago, had weak bones, cavities, and were disease-prone. Diet was therefore the key factor. Agricultural cultures began consuming large amounts of carbohydrates, which are readily converted to glucose, blood sugar. The pancreas must produce large quantities of insulin to convert the glucose into a collagen in fat. So more carbs equals more blood glucose equals your pancreas needs to work harder to produce more insulin to deal with that sugar. The high insulin also causes the body to produce cholesterol necessary to construct new cells to store the fat. Cholesterol is a building material. So your body needs more cholesterol now to create new cells to store the new fat that it has created with the excess blood sugar. The result is high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and acidosis from the sugar and fat storage. 
The hunting cultures are eating a high-protein, low-carbohydrate diet resulting in low glucose. This causes the pancreas to produce glucagon, which removes the fat from the cells to produce fuel for the body. The protein-carbohydrate ratio of the disease-free hunting cultures of the past was 1 to 1, about 50% protein with 50% carbohydrates. In agricultural America today, the pro-carb ratio is about 1 to 4, about 15% protein with 60% carbohydrates. And that's what the USDA actually recommends, a 1 to 4 pro-carb ratio, which is the same diet used to fatten pigs. So he's blaming this for diabetes and hypertension, and I'm skipping ahead here. So it appears that a pro-carb diet of 1 to 2 combined with high calcium intake is the answer. So not quite 1 to 1 there, 1 to 2, 1 part protein, 2 part carbohydrate with high calcium intake. The question then becomes, is the consumption of liquid ionized calcium good for you? The answer is yes, but only if you get about two hours of sunshine a day, so only if you get enough vitamin D. This will result in the parathyroid gland producing lots of the hormone calcitonin, which will keep the serum blood calcium level normal. And I'm skipping ahead again. I saved a chart here talking about the biochemical purposes of many other minerals. I'm not going to get into that. And toward the end of the book here, I saved study number five, which is comparative therapeutic value and toxicity of various types of vitamin D, shows that the original toxic effects that resulted from taking thousands of times the minimal requirement were not caused by the vitamin D, but were caused by the impurities of using the solvent extracted and irradiated procedure to produce the vitamin D. So that's actually, it's like the same thing he said before earlier in the book, when they were giving those massive doses of vitamin D to humans and dogs. But I think he just said it better here, and I probably saved this because he mentioned it was a solvent to extract the vitamin D and irradiation that he's blaming for the actual toxicity that they showed in those megadoses. It was also concluded that the same amounts of the newer and cleaner form of vitamin D produced by the new Whittier process was both non-toxic and beneficial to health. Thus, the suggestion that vitamin D could result in illness was caused by a misconception and a total lack of understanding which continues to this day by our medical authorities. I don't know why he didn't just include that uh, when he mentioned it earlier. I'm not sure. I didn't say this was the best edited book ever. I would fault it for that. Here I saved a study about vitamin D and breast cancer. A 1997 study by the North California Cancer Center concluded that because the skin uses ultraviolet rays from the sun to make vitamin D, which has been linked to protection against breast cancer and other studies which confirmed that women in the tier south of Kansas tend to get significantly less breast cancer, that the risk of breast cancer is lowered by 40%, perhaps even more by exposure to sunlight. And that was actually the last page that I saved in this book here. I said at the beginning that I would talk about why it is impossible to get this from food, to get enough calcium from food. It's a common question. People ask, well, can't I just eat properly? Can't I just eat good organic food? or this specific type of food like meat or beans or alfalfa. Alfalfa is high calcium, low phosphorus. That's why it's the basis for many animal feeds. And I say, no, you can't just do that because go to those Huns of people or to any of the other blue zones or the old world cultures that use wood as their primary fuel for cooking and heating. They have left over a byproduct of plant-derived minerals that's high in calcium. It's the ash, the wood ash. Or even if they're a population that lives by the sea, they could be burning sea moss. A lot of people are buying sea moss these days. 
and they ask, hey, can I get enough nutrients from this? The answer is no, because the people who really use sea moss burn the moss. They burn the wood. They burn the manure. They burn the everything. They burn whatever they can, and they have the ashes left over. Those ashes are already plant-derived minerals. Plant-derived comes from the plant. You're burning away the carbon. When a plant sucks a mineral up into its tissues, it has this relationship with the fungus and the bacteria in the soil where the bacteria and the fungus actually predigest minerals, all minerals. They're all clumped together when they're in rocks and sand and stuff. They're inorganic. They don't have an electric charge to them. They're all clumped together in random configurations with other elements and stuff. That's what rocks are. That's what dirt is. Anything that's not some organic compound in the soil is some mess of inorganic molecules clumped together, which we usually call rocks and dirt. But the fungi and the bacteria predigest that for the root so that it can absorb it into the tissue. And when it absorbs, when a plant absorbs a mineral into the tissue, it splits it all apart. It doesn't absorb a rock into its roots and its stem. It breaks the rock up into individual particles. And it gives those particles an electric charge. You might hear minerals referred to as ionic. Well, when it's plant-derived, it's ionic by default. We call them colloidal. Colloidal is something that stays in a solution. It doesn't separate out. It's not like oil and water together. That's not a colloidal solution. But the oil actually is a colloidal solution. All of its particles stay in suspension. So that's what plant-derived minerals do. And the smaller something is, in general, the easier it is to absorb in the body. So that's what plant-derived minerals are. They're small, electrically charged, colloidal, ionic particles. So why can't you eat any foods to get enough calcium? Can't I just drink enough milk and eat enough cheese? No, you can't because we need much higher doses and concentrated doses. These populations that use wood ash, it's not the only thing they're doing, but they're concentrating these because they're burning away most of the mass of the plant. They're burning away the water, the carbon, all that stuff. So you're just left with the minerals and they actually eat that stuff. It's the reason the rice noodles are yellow in Okinawa. They add the ash to it. Culinary ash, the white ash, you can find this in old cookbooks prior to 1900, basically. Ash was used as a condiment, as a thickener, much like we would use flour now. Ash would also go into flour-based foods because flour comes from grains which are difficult to produce, difficult to process, to mill, break them up into little pieces until it's flour, right? Before we had mechanization, this was done either by hand, by pounding it or grinding it, or by using a draft animal or a, a waterway, right? It would turn a turbine, which would turn a grinding stone, grinding wheel attached to a big stone. It would grind up the grains into a powder, but it still wouldn't even be a very fine powder. Or like I said, they would use an ox or a donkey attached to a series of ropes and gears to turn this grinding stone to mill basically the grain for an entire community or village. You'd have one mill set up in a small town and everybody would use it. And it was a lot of work to make this flour is my point. That's why they stretched it with ash. Salt historically was one of the most valuable compounds on earth. Every civilization or major city or anything like that was either built on a salt deposit, near a salt deposit, or on a salt road. The phrase all roads lead to Rome most likely referred to salt roads. Look up the origin of city names. Many of them are named after salt because they exist on these salt roads or they're a salt-producing town. Roman soldiers at various times were paid in salt. That's why they say it's called a salary now. Sal for salt. 
Even up to the American Civil War, American soldiers were paid in salt brine. Not all of them, some of them, but it was valuable enough to be a currency. And since it was valuable, the poor people of the world, the peasants, these people who actually lived the longest, almost all of them are peasants, and they need to stretch everything and use everything. So when they eat animals, they eat them head to toe, they stretch their salt, they stretch their flour, usually with wood ash, or rice straw ash in Okinawa, or sea moss ash, whatever they've got. This ash was a condiment. That's the white ash in the center of the fire pit. All the black ash and the other stuff, that would all go into the garden, into the compost, which is another thing that these longest lived people do to get more calcium and more minerals in general into their foods. I'm explaining why you can't get enough calcium in your food. Because what these people are eating isn't the important part of the equation. They eat completely different foods in Okinawa than they do in Hunza, or Azerbaijan, or in the Georgian mountains. Completely different diets. Completely different diet in Lake Titicaca, or the Nicoya Peninsula, Costa Rica, or Loma Linda, California, or any other zone that has a lot of hundred-year-olds. Sardinia, completely different diets. The food is not the common factor. The high nutrient is the common factor, and it's not in the food unless they put it into the food. Remember those Hunza people drinking that river water from the mountains. Most of the blue zones are mountainous people, and they are drinking from mountain rivers, mountain streams, mountain springs. They are invariably high mineral water, hard water, lots of calcium, lots of magnesium, lots of silica, lots of other trace minerals and rare earth minerals because these streams are traveling across massive mountain ranges and they're digging up all kinds of rock dust, basically. They're chipping away at the rocks slowly and the rivers are full of dust, dirt, sand, rocks, all kinds of different elements, but especially calcium. And I know this conversation is focused on calcium, but this is how they get more minerals in general. They drink it. All those long-lived people, no matter what, they're drinking spring water or river water or something. All of that has more minerals in it than our modern filtered, distilled, bottled, whatever. So they drink it. Then they irrigate their fields with that same mineral-rich water. They divert rivers, and so they soak and flood their fields. And those rivers bring in even more minerals. They bring in mud and silt and clay minerals. And this is also why every civilization was also built on a floodplain. Rivers used to flood every year. This is part of our explanation of why we don't have enough minerals in our food supply in general, by the way. The damming of about a million rivers in this world was a major factor here because we dammed them for electricity and flood control. The electricity side of the coin took us away from using wood and other burnable things sea moss and stuff that would have minerals in it took us away from wood so we no longer have wood ashes that's one major mineral source gone and it stopped the fields from flooding so fields where our food are grown don't have a replenishing source of minerals at least on the topsoil the problem is most of our food crops are grown in the topsoil they're not old trees with deep roots they're not old vines they're not old plants with deep roots we replant every year most of our major food crops replanted in the topsoil. They suck up minerals out of the topsoil. They're not alive long enough to have deep roots. You take those plants away, you took those minerals away too. We used to flood these fields with mineral-rich waters and mud and silt and clay, so we'd replenish our fields. Now we have crops that are dependent on commercial fertilizers because we're not replenishing the fields like this. Another factor here that these longest-lived people do is compost. This is another unanimous practice 
of all the longest lived populations. They all keep their scraps, whatever's left. They keep their waste. They pile it up in huge piles. And every year they go and till that into their fields and into their gardens. And they've got all kinds of things in there from food waste to manure, bone scraps, inedible ashes. And so you've got an extremely rich topsoil here with the flooded irrigated mineral rich water and the compost added on. So the food crops that they're eating, whatever it is, whatever the crop is, the crop itself doesn't matter. What matters is that it's grown in this mineral rich condition and this thriving organic healthy topsoil and it has way more minerals in it than anything commercially grown. And the other major factor here is bones. Mentioned it briefly already. These people make use of what they have. They milk their animals until they can't be milked anymore. And when they do slaughter them, they use all of it. They use the skins, they eat the ears, they eat the stomach lining. They have special recipes for all the organs and the fascia, the inner skin. They make use of the animal. If it's a big animal, they take the bones and boil them, make soups and stocks that are the basis of many of their meals, and they might even drink it themselves. There'll probably be a bunch of stuff in their stock, just like we do at home at our house here. We save our kitchen scraps in a bag in the freezer. Bones and onion peels and garlic peels, and whatever. We make stock with that, and we use that stock to cook our rice in or cook our other food in or make gravies or just drink it. You're getting those nutrients leached out into the stock, into the broth. You can leach nutrients out with a tea or vegetable broth as well. It's same thing, same concept. Except with bones, you're getting a lot more of those minerals, especially calcium. So bone soup. They'd take those bones afterwards and they'd grind them up. And they'd use that in their flours and stuff too to make their breads and their puddings and their meatloafs and whatever else they would be using flour with. They would be using bone meal and ash. One of my favorite ways to illustrate this is the nursery rhyme, Jack and the Beanstalk. Fee, fi, fo, fum. I smell the blood of an Englishman. Be he live or be he dead. I'll grind his bones to make my bread. I'll grind his bones to make my bread. We all heard this. We just never thought about it. It's what they used to do. Bone meal in the bread. One of the reasons gluten wasn't such a big problem back in the day. They didn't use that much flour. They used other things in these recipes. This wasn't just flour and sugar and egg to make your bread. They were using salt, they were using bone meal, they were using ashes, they would throw fruits in it, vegetables in it, meat in it, in their bread, believe it or not. Spices, of course, herbs, all of which add other nutrients, especially if those same foods were also grown in this mineral-rich condition. So this is a long way of of explaining how you cannot get enough calcium from your food. This is why we sell supplements. If you could get all your nutrients from food, just like your doctor says, and just like the government says, just by eating the four food groups or the food plate or whatever, if you could really do that and prevent and reverse disease, we wouldn't be in business. There wouldn't be an alternative health business. There wouldn't be countless people that are flocking to these businesses, these industries. By the way, the alternative health business is booming. We just had six best-selling months in a row crazy busy with people who have health problems and on instagram actually our audience is extremely health conscious many people eat way better than i do they're very into the details they do all these different things to be healthy and they're still coming to us with symptoms because no matter how hard they try to just eat good you can't reverse a nutrient deficiency disease in most cases just by switching foods you get temporary results because you're getting off of processed foods and that's great that's why most diets have an effect especially in the short term. 
But most chronic disease is actually mineral deficiency disease, nutrient deficiency disease in general. And all those things that we talked about with the lungs of people, we just don't do these things. Some people ask, well, what if I eat ashes? Well, great, that's one of the four main things that they do to get more minerals in their environment. And that's not even mentioning the other factors that contribute to their longevity and good health. There are several other important factors. Lack of stress, lack of toxins, high antioxidants, strong social communities and families and uh, religious belief or faith in general. These are common factors with all of these populations as well. So if you just eat ash, you're doing part of the equation, but it's a lot of work and a lot of waste, especially if you don't live in the, in the country. A lot of work and a lot of waste to overcome something that you could just supplement with for a couple of bucks a day. Decent supplement program from us costs about $5 a day US. That's a pretty good deal. I don't know of any meals at this point in our world here that you can get for five bucks or less. I haven't bought a meal for five bucks in a very, very long time. So your whole day's worth of essential nutrients appropriate to your body weight for five bucks a day for most people. Pretty good deal to me. Not really worth doing the whole peasant lifestyle thing, even if that were possible. And that's assuming that you have all the nutrients in your soils, by the way. That's another factor for these blue zones. They happen to live in places that have all the nutrients there. Those mountain ranges where the rivers drag up minerals from huge distances. So you just get a good spread of minerals in that water. That's one way to do it. Volcanic soil is another way to do it, as in the Nicoya Peninsula, Costa Rica. Many other places with volcanic soil, they get away with having a higher mineral content available. Anybody who lives by the sea and eats primarily from the sea, all the minerals are in seawater. So everything that grows in the sea has a spread of those nutrients. And nutrients and minerals are concentrated every step up the food chain. This is why people say to avoid tuna and shark and other big predator fish, because each step up the food chain, if you have one part calcium, for example or mercury in seawater, the seaweed is going to have roughly 10 times the amount in its tissues. And whatever eats the seaweed is going to have 10 times that. It's magnified. This is called biomagnification or bioaccumulation. Just saying. So if you burn sea moss, this is why it has a rich spread of minerals and you're concentrating it down when you burn it. So these people that do actually get their minerals in the wild, they happen to be in places that have the minerals there. All of them. And this is why we can't replicate it. It's not practical. It's not cost effective, especially not on a large scale. By the way, a quick anecdote here. The whole island of England was stripped of its trees, basically. And the first U.S. patent, U.S. patent number one, is a process for using wood ash as fertilizer, basically, in order to sell it to England because they had burned all their own trees. That's one of the reasons I say it's not really practical to have millions of people out there burning stuff for their wood ashes to consume, gambling on whether that tree even has enough of the minerals in its tissues. And I think very quickly we would uh, put a big dent in our tree reserves here. It's a lot easier to utilize some of the things that we have been given here on Earth. And I am wrapping this podcast up. I didn't want to make this a big product pitch here, but... Just telling you, the source for our main minerals is an ancient sea moss deposit. It's called humic shale. It's on top of a mountain in Emory, Utah, middle of nowhere. And it's 100 cubic miles of this stuff. 100 cubic miles. It's unfathomably big. We estimate it's enough for all of humanity for thousands of years. Just this one deposit. 
to provide us and our pets, actually, with enough minerals to survive. That might be an overestimation, but the point is it's a lot, a lot of biomass, and that's desiccated sea moss, basically. It's ancient sea moss. So it's just like taking your sea moss and burning it because the carbon's all gone out of it, and we filter it anyway. So it's just minerals left over. So we don't need to strip our forests. I think it would be a good idea to take the dams down, but I don't think we can reverse this situation we've got. The hydroelectricity dependence and uh, the fact that we've developed along the rivers now and when they would have been protected from flooding before or they would have just been built smarter anticipating the yearly flooding that would come along with living on a river or floodplain. So we're not going to reverse these things really. We do have natural base supplements to make up for these deficiencies. And before I sign out here, if you didn't know, if you don't know my story, I was born with my hips dislocated. It's called dysplasia, displaced hips, dysplasia. And I was all tangled up in my mom's womb. They had to cut me out to save my life and probably my mom's life as well. And I basically grew up in pain. Muscle pain, neck pain, back pain. I'd turn my head too quickly and my muscle would pop out of my neck and I'd be in a neck brace for like weeks going to school. Couldn't really wrestle with the boys or anything because I was too fragile couldn't play sports or honestly anything like that. I really was uh, almost crippled. At least it really prevented me from, from doing many things physically. Didn't have much of a physical life because I was always in pain and always worried that anything I would do would pull a muscle out or cause me to be out of commission for weeks. Also had relentless muscle cramps and shin splints and twitches. My doctor would call all of this childhood arthritis and he didn't really want to pin down the definition with Tourette syndrome mixed in there, but the twitches were a problem. They were a big problem for me for most of my life. I had insomnia in here as well. All of these are in the calcium deficiency category. My mom was deficient in calcium. She gave birth to me. I had these calcium deficiency problems from birth, and they were never corrected until I turned 26, and I took enough of the calcium complex. This is why I'm very passionate about calcium. I've done several nutrient deep dives here on this channel, and we can talk on and on about many of the essential nutrients, but I always say I had a calcium deficiency. I know it's calcium and its cofactors. I probably had many deficiencies, but calcium was the main one because when I added in the proper dose of the proper formula, the one that I now sell, I was out of my pain. I could sleep properly. I never pulled a muscle again like that. Never had shin splints again. The vast majority of my aches and pains and complaints just vanished in less than a week. It was literally six days. I know that because I had six sample packs in my possession. By the time they were finished, my symptoms were gone. The symptoms that had plagued me my whole life. These calcium deficiency problems. And my mom, by the way, when we figured out that I had calcium deficiency, she also got on the program. She had osteoporosis before she started. She no longer does today because it's the same deficiency. Her bone density is fine now, my problems are turned around, and now I do this for a living. And that is going to be it for this episode. If you do want to hear more, obviously, just subscribe, check out the other episodes. As I mentioned, we're new here, back on Spotify for the second time. Same name, Notice and Friends, but all of the old episodes, I'm going to have to start re-uploading them now. Some of them are quite new, they're just not up yet, so there's lots to come here course once again you can find everything i do on my website notusbooks.org including my own books that i've written most of them are about health and the books that i've helped published which are also mostly about health i've been told i should mention the patreon more often if you really want to support you can go to patreon.com slash the real notice 
once again spelled not us patreon.com slash the real not us all of the links will be in the description of this podcast if you want a health assessment for yourself or someone you know you can reach out to me anywhere again all my social media things are on notusbooks.org you could also email me my email will be in the description of the podcast as well and that's all i've got today i appreciate you guys until next time Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 